we are going to continue our, our series called Holy Stories. And we're going through a, a variety of parables and historical events from the Bible uh, to get an idea of, uh, you know, just what we can learn. Jesus told lots of stories. He told lots of parables. And uh, he told them for a reason, to communicate truth to people. And so we're going through uh, a bunch of those here for the rest of the summer. Last week we talked about the parable of the sower. And uh, that was, you know, I think one of the very great parables in the scriptures. I look at that parable to evaluate my own life from time to time. Hard path, what are the things of God I won't let in? Shallow soil, where are the things I'm unwilling to make the, the commitment to go through difficulty in order to see the fruit? The thorny soil, where am I too distracted by the cares of life and all the stuff going on to where I slip away from God? And how can I bear fruit for the kingdom of God? Phenomenal, wonderful parable. This week we're going to talk about the lost parables. Not that the parables have been lost, but the parables are about lost things. The parables are about lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. And uh, these three parables are told by Jesus in one sitting, one after the other. And so we're going to look at all three because he told them for a specific reason. Uh, but let's pray first and we'll get into the lost parables. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for each one that's here. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time. Lord, that you would help us just connect with you in a powerful way. Lord, uh, I pray that your scriptures that we read would just come alive, and that your truth would be known. Bless this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Being a preacher is both incredibly daunting and incredibly easy at the same time. Just read the Bible, it'll work out, you know. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, trying to discern the Word of God is an amazing, amazing task. And so let's look at these lost parables. Jesus told them for a specific reason. He was in a particular situation. And so we're going to get the setting. And uh, the setting is very important because if you don't know who's being talked to, you don't know what the meaning of the sentence is. And so understanding the environment is very, very important. In this particular case, it's extremely important. So here's the setting. Luke 15 verses 1 and 2, we get the setting. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. So tax collectors and sinners were listening to Jesus speak. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a good thing. Now, if tax collectors and sinners come to church, do church people usually think that's a good thing or a bad thing? You know the answer you're supposed to say. <laughs> the question is, how much do you actually believe that? And how much is that in your emotions rather than in your head? Is it in your heart or in your head? Let's look at the next verse, Luke 15, 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So they're like, tax collectors and sinners are... Listening to Jesus, who does this guy think he is? Does he not understand who he's talking to? These are bad people. And they, of course, 
thought this was a bad thing. So, Jesus needs to respond to this mentality. To the mentality that broken people should stay away from church. And here's how he responds. Verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, should I shake your theology a little bit? Is it possible that there are 99 righteous people that don't need to repent? I don't know. Let's just let that sit. Verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, the huge paradigm shift that Jesus brought to the religious culture of the day was that broken people are not to be cast aside. They're not to be rejected because they're unhelpful because they're not ready to serve, because they're not ready to do something important. They're not to be cast aside. They're to be valued. They're to be sought after. They're to be grabbed a hold of and embraced. That the broken are not to be rejected, but to be loved and valued. That's the huge paradigm shift that Jesus brought to the religious culture. Imagine, for example, that... uh, Uh, You're the general manager of an NFL football team. You've got to whittle down, like right now there's like 100 people on every football team. You've got to have 53 by a certain date. And you evaluate, is this person good enough to make the 53-man roster? If not, they're gone. Right? Gone. If you can't run just fast enough, you're out. If you can't catch the ball a consistent number of times, you're gone. Out you go. That's the mentality of, okay, if you're not good enough, then forget you because we've got something important to deal with. And that permeated the religious culture, and I submit to you may still permeate the religious culture today. But Jesus says, no, everyone is valuable. Everyone is valuable. So he turned that upside down. So let's look at, (laughs) my notes are just terrible. (laughs) I, I, I mean, in a, look at, look at this. I can't believe I write stuff like this. It says, talking about these Pharisees and that sort of thing, it says, so pain in the butt hypocrite believers are nothing new. All right. This has been going on for 2,000 years and longer than that. All right. (laughs) So don't think this is a brand new scenario. 
But let's learn some lessons from the the first two lost parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin. And then we'll go on to the lost son, the prodigal son, one of the most iconic parables out there. Uh, And so let's look at these. First thing, first important lesson is Jesus considers these individuals to be lost. Have you ever been lost? Like you're in the woods and it clouds up and you're not really sure exactly where you are and now you don't really know where north and south and east and west are and you brought a compass but you realize it it was from the 1950s and it doesn't work anymore and you know now you're lost or if you're driving in a city that you don't know nowadays their phone tells you where you are it's an amazing thing back in the day we just wandered around and hoped for the best you know uh it was a different world and we got lost jesus considers these individuals to be lost What that means is they've been created for a purpose. They've been created inside God's plan. They've been created with significance and eternal value, but they're off of that path. They're somewhere else. They're no longer on the path they've been created for, on the road they've been created for. They've gotten lost and they're off track. Jesus considers them to be lost. Have you ever been lost? He says, but they can be found. How do they get found? The key to being found in these two parables is repentance. Repentance is how you get found. What repentance means literally is to turn. A lot of people think repentance means to feel really bad. If you feel really bad and stay on the wrong path, you have not repented. You're just feeling bad while you haven't repented. You turn and act differently. Then you have repented. Oftentimes that involves feeling really bad because you realize that you've been away from God's plan, that you've hurt people, and that you've missed out on your eternal purpose. I got saved when I was 19. I thought to myself, I can't believe I'm this far behind. I don't know anything. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I'm already 19. Everybody else listened to Sunday school stories. They know about Jonah and the whale. What's the deal? Oh, a fish swallows a guy? What? What? That's in the Bible? What are you guys talking? This is craziness. You know, I had to learn all this stuff as a young adult trying to figure out what's going on. And so, you know, I was like, oh, I'm missing out. And so when we turn to God, when we turn away from the world and to the the things of God, there can be an incredible emotional pain that's associated with that when we realize, wow, I've hurt people. I used to talk people out of their faith. It was entertainment. It was easy, too. Get a little deeper in your faith. That's very important. I feel bad about that. And so when I turned to God, I had that sinking feeling of, oh no, I've done some things wrong. So there were emotions associated with that, but there was also a life change associated with that. I no longer was on this path, now I'm on this path. The lost are found through repentance, through turning away from the things that aren't of God to the things that are of God. 
That's how the lost are found. Another very important lesson in these parables is that the appropriate response, the God response to someone being lost, is to diligently seek after them until they are found. Does God care about statistics? Oh, uh, okay. Uh, My wife says, warn people. Trick question. Are you ready? Does God care about statistics? Absolutely yes. Is 99 out of 100 good enough for Jesus? No. Is 9 out of 10 good enough for Jesus? No. Because that one that's lost is a person that Jesus dearly loves. And so 99 out of 100 is not good enough. Are we even close to 99 out of 100 in the cloquet area? Oh my goodness. We're at about 27. The appropriate God response to knowing that someone is lost is to diligently seek until they are found. Leave the 99 in the open country. Go after the one. That's the appropriate response. Then when they are found, great rejoicing. Amen? Amen. Who does the searching? If you would agree with me that there are lost sheep in the United States of America and around the world, even in 2015, after the truth of God has been around for 2,000 years, if you still believe that there are lost sheep, who does the searching? I tell you, the Holy Spirit tugs on our heartstrings. But God's people are on the front lines of that search. We are on that search party. We are the ones who reach out. The Pharisees were in a situation where people who didn't know God, who were far from God, were drawn to Jesus. They came into the presence of the Messiah to hear what he had to say, to feel his healing touch. And the Pharisees were disgusted. That is not God's heart. That's not God's heart. I believe one of the greatest challenges in the church in 2015 is to help the people of God have the heart of God. Because if the people of God don't have the heart of God, then we're in real trouble. But 2,000 years ago, there were people of God who did not share the heart of God. And boy, can't it happen now too. Let's go on to the next lost parable, the parable of the lost son. This one is much more detailed, a little bit different, and there are some important lessons in this one as well. So again, Jesus is talking to a mixed group. These sinners have come to listen, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the fancy religious people, pastors and Bible study leaders and such are there, and uh, they're kind of 
you know, like, oh, wow. You know, they're kind of grumpy. And so Jesus is talking to this whole mixed group. And then he tells them this next story, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So, is this person now lost, off of the path, onto their own way? Absolutely. This person was in the family, was set, decided, you know what, I'm out of here, I'm going to take my inheritance, and I'm going to live life while I got the chance. Verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, one of my very favorite verses in the Bible, when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. This is repentance. He's been off on his own. He had resources. The resources ran out. And then he's in a miserable condition because of the life he was living. And then he thinks to himself, I know, I could go home. And he says, but I don't deserve to go home. I don't deserve to be the son I once was. I'm just going to say, I'm sorry, I've failed you. Can, can you hire me on? Let me work in your fields. So he's repented, and he's turning his life. He's turning, literally, turning around and going home. Verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So, was there a cold shoulder? Oh, okay. So you waste half the estate. And then you want to eat pig slop, and so you come home, huh? Yeah, big sacrifice. You ran out of money, so you come slinking on home. Was there that cold shoulder? No. What does this indicate? It indicates that the father was looking over the horizon every day. When is my boy coming home? When is he coming home? And he was ready. The calf was ready. The robe and the ring and the sandals were there. I, I, I believe, <clears throat> you know, this is, a, this is a parable, it's a story. But I always picture an empty place setting at the table. 
where the family sits down to eat and that's where the younger one sits right there. And it's empty. The father's heart was, oh, would he please come home? They began to celebrate. Was everybody happy about this? If you... (laughs) So remember, he's talking to the Pharisees, and the other people are there. And so the parable continues, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. So the older boy is like, you got to be kidding me. That joker's coming home? I've been carrying a double load for all this time, and now he comes home. I got something to say to him. But the father goes out and pleads with the older son. Verse 29. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So we've got the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Of course, a very similar message between all three, that the lost are dearly valued and loved by God, and we should share that same attitude. But there's a very big difference between the lost sheep and the lost coin and then the lost son, And that is this, there was no search for the lost son. Have you noticed that? Leave the 99, go search for the one. Oh, sweep the house clean for the one coin. The son says, give me my inheritance, I'm out of here. The father's like, okay, here you go, we'll see you. And he leaves. There's no delegation sent. He just leaves. It's up to him to come to his senses and come home. How come we search for the lost sheep, but we don't search for the lost son? Or how come that happened in those parables? What's the deal there? Well, I believe there's a difference between being truly lost and just being in rebellion. There's a difference between being lost, just you're, you're overwhelmed by life. You don't know what's going on. You're confused and you don't know how to fix your life. You don't know how, how to find significance. You don't know what's going on. You're just lost and somebody needs to come and help you. And if the truth of God never comes into contact with you because the people of God won't come and help you, that's a problem. But then there are people who know their way home. They absolutely, completely understand how to connect with God. And they just don't want to. How success, have you ever tried to deal with somebody like that? How successful is your evangelism with that type of person? It's a disaster. Their heart's in the wrong place. And so we see in this parable with the lost son, 
We're going to wait now. We're going to wait. That doesn't mean the Father didn't grieve every day. It doesn't mean there wasn't an empty place setting sitting there waiting for him to come home too. It doesn't mean that, that he was disgusted by the son. It means his heart was broken, but he knew chasing after him isn't going to help. So he just kept looking at the horizon. When's my boy coming home? Then when he came, boom, it was immediate. Immediate. The moment has come. The boy is ready. Come here. Big hug. Big hug. There's a big difference between being lost and being in rebellion. The older son was not super excited. I want you to check your heart with regards to the attitudes of the older son, because obviously the older son is the established believer. And I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes it's hard to keep God's heart. To, to have the same attitude as God does as we grow. We'll talk about that in just a second. But let's look at some of the things that the older son was going through. First thing, he was disgusted by his younger brother. Because he was left doing all the work. While his younger brother was off having fun. Have you ever been, you know, cleaning the church or, uh, you know, serving in a very in a way and nobody else is coming to volunteer and you just like, <laughs> and you just wish somebody would show up and help out? Well, that's the situation here. Is the person who should have been helping wasn't helping. The older brother's attitude was, boy, what a loser! Should be helping me. The father's attitude was, oh, when my son comes home. Very different attitude. The older brother felt undervalued. I've been serving you all these years. I've never disobeyed your orders. You don't even give me a goat. You've killed a fattened calf for this goofball, and I don't even get a goat? I mean, do you even care? Have you ever felt in your service to the Lord that you've been undervalued? And then we spend thousands of dollars on an outreach so that people who don't even care about God get, you know, I mean, like, ah. it's easy to feel undervalued. Let me tell you, you will never get the thanks that you deserve in this life for serving God. You just won't. It's a good thing there's treasures in heaven because it's all going to get squared away. You know, (laughs) it's well worth it, but you're not going to see it here. Hopefully you'll get the occasional goat so you can celebrate with your friends. (laughs) And I think the older brother felt threatened too. Notice verse 31. The father says, all I have is yours. We're not going to split the inheritance in half again. He got his, you got yours. Everything I have is yours. Don't worry about a new heir coming in. It's okay. You will never lose out when new people start coming to church. You will never have what you 
have built with God be diminished by someone new coming in. Don't feel threatened. What if the older son had gotten to the younger son first before the father did? Does that happen today? Where the grumpy, pharisaical Christian gets to the lost or rebellious person before Jesus does. Let's not ever have that happen here. One of the greatest challenges for the church of our day is getting believers to share God's heart for people. How do you know if you've become a Pharisee? Because it can happen. I don't think the Pharisees were thinking to themselves, wow, we're really messed up, grumpy religious people. I think they were thinking to themselves, hey, we're doing this right, they're doing it wrong. How come these bad people are getting influence? How come these people who aren't right are getting the opportunity to come in just like everybody else? Don't we have standards? How do you know if you're becoming a Pharisee? Well, I think it's pretty simple. If you don't share God's heart for people, you're becoming a Pharisee. It's not about knowledge. It's about love. Let's, 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 is really important when it comes to this whole idea. 1 Corinthians 8 1. They're arguing about a specific detail. Stuff you can eat and stuff you can't eat. And Paul says to the Corinthians, we know that we all possess knowledge. Everybody knows some stuff. Super. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I think what can happen is that if we grow in knowledge, we've got all these new detailed things that we can think. Oh, I know more about this than they do. And, and oh, well, that's not exactly right if you go from a biblical perspective. And, and you have all these things that you know, but you don't care about the people. Now your heart isn't the same as God's heart, but your knowledge will cause you to become puffed up, to become arrogant, judgmental, and cast judgment. We need to grow in our heart towards people, just like how God's heart is. We need to have God's heart for people, not just have head knowledge that we can evaluate with. We're going to close. I'm going to invite the uh, ushers up and the prayer team up. We're going to uh, take communion. They're going to hand out the communion elements. At Good Hope Church, if you want to take communion, go ahead and take communion. Just make it something real. We're not going to check and see if you're a member somewhere or something like that. But hey, it's a serious thing. So if you want to take communion, great. Make it real between you and God. If you don't want to, just pass. Just one of those things. It's all you got to do. No one's going to belabor it. But be ready in your heart to be able to take communion. Now... You know, Jesus didn't just talk the talk. 
He walked the walk. He didn't just say, sinners are valuable and you people should care. He said, sinners are valuable and I've got something I'm going to do. Romans 5.8, our communion scripture for today says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The heart of God is while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if I'm going to divide the congregation into two large groups of people, one group would be the people who are separated from God. If you are separated from God, understand this. Jesus shed his blood so your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be made righteous with his righteousness. You could fit into the family. You could belong. And he was broken for your healing. The emotional scars, all those things, even physical healing, they're... There's damage that's been done. You can be healed. You can be forgiven. Receive that. If you're someone who has received that love years ago, I want you to compare your heart with the heart of the one who would do this. The heart of the one who would say, that dirty, rotten so-and-so is worth a scourging coming to me and is worth my blood being shed so they could be forgiven that's the heart of God one of the greatest challenges for the church of today is for believers to share God's heart for people to not be Pharisees but to be like Christ and love. Well, let's pray. And we'll receive communion together. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you, Lord, for that empty place at the table that each one of us gets to fill. Thank you for seeing us as valuable when, quite honestly, we just weren't. We were just valuable in your eyes. And thank you for making us purposeful and giving us meaningful lives, giving us a deeper value. Lord, help us to share that heart for others, for those who right now are far from you, for those who are lost and confused in this world, just trying to do the best they can, but they can't figure out how to, how to connect with a higher power. Lord, help us to have that heart that seeks. And Lord, for those who are in rebellion, Lord, if, if we know it's not our place to go chase after him, Lord, help us to be able to have a heart that is ready for the moment they turn, to give them that hug, to give them that, uh, that love that they can know they're accepted and they belong. We thank you for giving us this example and for walking the walk. This is the body of Christ which was broken for you. Praise you, Lord. This is the blood of Christ which was shed for you. Hallelujah. Father, you are so good. You are so good. Help us to feel your love 
fully and completely, missing none of it, so that we can reflect your love to this world, so that we can overflow into our families, our workplaces, our schools, and your love can be known in this world. Bless us, encourage us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. The prayer team's here, ready to pray. Whatever your need is, come on down, receive prayer. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord this morning.